Grace. Yeah, David? Do you want to go back? Back where? Back to the best. Back to the best? Back to the best. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Back to the Best. I'm David. And I'm Grace, and this is our podcast where we talk about all the best things from the 90s to the 2000s, which is also known as the best times. To all our first-time listeners, a big welcome. Yeah, just a welcome. Just welcome (laughs) to all our first-time. Oh, yeah. To all our first-time listeners, welcome. Yeah, just welcome. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And to all our former besties returning, another big, huge welcome back, because if you return, like really thank you for returning. <laughs> it really is like a robot. If I try to, if you try to change one word, the whole thing just goes out of the brain. I know. I feel like we would, we need to recite it while we're like doing another activity. So it becomes muscle memory. Oh, and we just, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like the next acting time we're going school. skiing. Right. Like when we would have to memorize lines, we would do something else so that it's so second nature. They just Ooh, always know it. Okay. What was your favorite game whenever you did acting school? Um, did they do games like improv classes? Yeah. So we did. I feel like, well, we would do warm ups in different classes too. But like, I feel like one that every single like acting class does is like either you pass like an imaginary ball. Like at Groundlings, we did that where you would like pass you pass a ball and like, you know, so you could catch it. And it's like all of a sudden the ball's really huge. So you like throw an imaginary ball or you could do that with like a sound. You can like throw a sound to someone across the room and then they have to make another sound. I remember that one. Um, How do you throw a sound? Like you make a sound. You'd be like, and then I would have to do it. And then you would, or you could like, it's kind of like, I guess, in whisper down the lane, how you try to do it the same, but you end up changing it. So then everyone has to try to adapt to whatever sound the person before them said. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, I can't remember anything else at the moment. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure there it's was been other a bit. Ones. It's been a bit. It's been a bit. And I just can't remember, but just like those general, like icebreaker games. I like icebreaker games now as a kid. I hated them. Yeah. I don't know that I'm trying to think if like, which ones I ever hated. I mean, two truths and a lie is always fun. See, it any, can be hard to think of it though. Uh-huh. I like the ones where you don't have to like say anything about yourself. Mm. Like what's zip, an example zap, of one? Like um, zip zap zoom. Oh, that's we would just play, like a that's game. definitely yeah, yeah. That one's fun. Um, what's the game where you? What's it called? Where you're like standing and you try to like hit someone and they have to move their hand out of the way. Oh, isn't it just called like ninja or something? Yeah, ninja. That one's really fun. I would say we should play Ninja together right now, but we're not together. It'd be a little bit tough. Not, yeah. First we have the Zoom delay. I know. It's a fun game though, especially if you have a big group of people. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. But I, can, I can't remember any other games we played in acting school, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> you're, you're welcome, everybody, for this free acting lesson. <laughs> zip, Zoom, Zip. I think we did Zip, Zop, Zoom. Zip. Yeah. No, we did Zip, Zap, Zop. That's what it was. Oh, yeah, ours was zip zap zoom because you would zoom across. Yeah. A lot of them you would do like tongue twisters as well. Like you would um I can't remember anything. I know like it's all escaping me at this exact moment. 
What were some that you would do? Oh, like red leather, yellow leather, red uh, leather, yellow, yellow leather. leather, red leather, yellow leather. That was definitely one. We're ready for the stage. We're ready for uh, for the stage. It really just oh, it helps you to enunciate. We really need to work on our enunciation for this podcast. We do. Um. Anyway, how are you? How are things? Things are well. I'm doing well. Um, I just bought a new hair gel that's sitting here. Oh, that's uh, exciting. Uh, really just, honestly, after we do this, uh, just going to be killing time until the Big Brother finale. I know, you guys. If Hopefully, people that listen to us also watch Big Brother. But when we're recording this, the finale is tonight. It's down to X, Aza, and Big D. Who would, who do you want to win? Okay. I'll tell you who I want to win and who I think is going to win. Okay. I want Ozzy to win. Mm-hmm. Did she upset me whenever she sent Hannah home? Yes. Mm-hmm. Did I move past it because of how awful Kylan was? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, who I think is going to win is X. I don't see any situation if X makes it to final two where he can beat Ozzy or Big D. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, it's all going to depend on the head of household competition. There's two of them, right? Or is there three? There's uh, I think do they do there's two? two parts tonight. So they two already parts. did. So X is going to part two or That's to part right. three. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And then Aza and Derek compete in part two. And then that winner goes to compete against X for part three. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, if one of them were to beat X, then the tables completely turn. Because I, I don't no know idea. Who, I don't know who they would vote between Aza and Derek and Big D. I know. I would think Aza, but I don't. I feel like everyone loves Big D. I know. And Aza just laid in her bed all season. Aza just, I know, laid in her bed all season. I love Big D, but he didn't really do that much either. He just kind of floated his way through. And that, Xavier made a comment about that in the last episode because Aza and Big D. <laughs> didn't really do that much this season, no. but David and I were together when the episode aired, when Aza won her first HOH. Yeah. And ugh, God, she put Hannah and X up on the block and poor Hannah, her face was completely stunned. I mean, I don't think anybody saw it coming. We were all angry. Like, yeah, we like uh, anger emo- was the emotion. Cause we went from upset thinking that Hannah and Aza weren't going to win. Then Ozzy right. wins. We literally are standing cheering. And then she puts Hannah on the block. And yeah, I mean, I think everyone's in agreement that that was not the right move. It should have been Xavier and Kylan. But like you said, Kylan is out. And that's really all I care that's about I at this point. For. And the way that he left was super ugly. Oh, my God. He's going to regret that. TV. Oh, yeah. He's going to regret that. Mm-hmm. He has to already regret it. It was like. Very, very I wonder, telling. He doesn't know what people are saying in the real world. Oh, yeah. he has to know. He has to know. It did not look good. I mean, it's also the tough part is on like Instagram, for example, you can filter it so that some comments are not shown. So he that's where it's like tough. Like he might only yeah. see ones. But to be fair, I have not seen a single comment that was supporting what he did. It was such a low blow mm-hmm. to call out Xavier's nephew. Yeah. Like it was such a low blow and poor Julie then had to sit up on the stage and oh, just smile. Oh, Julie was like yelling at him to get out of the house. I know. Oh my God. It was so awkward, but 
Yeah, that was just such an ugly way to go. I think he was, I think he was trying to egg Xavier on so that Xavier would hit him and Xavier would have to leave. But Xavier's way too smart for that. Oh, yeah. He was not going to fall for that. We um, are going to watch the finale tonight. And then by the time this comes out, we'll know who wins. So we'll, we'll, we'll do an update yeah. on our Instagram. Yes. Yes. We'll do an update. I, I also hope that Aza wins because I would love to see a female um, winner. But honestly, the cookout was the best alliance of it all was, time. They killed it. Tiffany, I mean, all of the other jury members said to Tiffany when she got there, if she had made it this far, they would have voted for her to win, which is why she was the first member of the cookout that was out because she's incredible. So truthfully, I don't, any of them could win and any of them will win. But I like, I like the top three. Yeah. I know. I do like the top three. Like, I hope it's Aza though, I even know. though I don't think it's going to be, but I hope so. I'm hopeful. I mean, I think she has a fighting chance. I don't th- big. She D, has to win. She has to win this. Yeah. H-O-H and take. Which she beat. She beat Xavier before. That's true. She did beat him in that HOH. It was literally down to the two of them. Hopefully the like competitions like fair in the sense of like, yeah, if it's any it's kind not- of physical competition. X is going to win hands down. I don't, I feel like it might not be because the one before was physical when they were on that like thing That's true. <laughs> that X won. So maybe mm-hmm. they'll do something different to mix it up. But I'm, I'm so rooting for Aza. I, I, I hope that she wins, but you know what? If Xavier wins, he's, he's played a good game as well. He totally didn't win HOHs when he could have, because he knew uh-huh. what he was doing. So yeah, he played have a great to game. give him credit. Probably oh, like he the totally best game. Did. Yeah. I know it is funny because like, they got out so early on a lot of strong male competitors knowing that they tend to make it really far, but Xavier just like skated. That's why his game was so good. He got that alliance. Yeah. Like no one thought to get him out. Oh, kudos to him. Uh, Someone else we're rooting for that we don't really have updates is um, Brittany is in court today. So again, follow us at BTTB podcast. We'll be posting like updates when we see them, but at the time that we're recording this, All we know is that her lawyer is in the courtroom right now and has officially requested the conservatorship to end. It's hard to see a world that it doesn't end after everything. Mm -hmm. At least get her dad out. Get her dad out. Like It's ridiculous that this has all gone on for this long anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, and I feel like like people know what the right thing to do is just give Mm -hmm. her her life back. That's literally it. (laughs) She doesn't need to be controlled like this when she has been for so many years. And a lot of people have spoken out proving that it's true. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, but we're always rooting for Brittany free her. Now our friend, Josh Skinner, who was on our podcast two times, once by himself and once with Mm Glozell, he is there. So maybe we can like, yeah, maybe we can have him just like come on at one time to share how it was. Oh yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, just to hear about it. Um, because he's there again. Oh my god. I wish we could have been there. I know, um, but we're there in spirit. We're always there in spirit. We are always there in spears it. In spears it. That's the second, that was the second celeb pun we've made. What was the Jennifer Aniston one? Oh, earlier we were talking Jen. about Jennifer Aniston and uh, and, generous. She, and you said something about something being generous. And then I was like, you mean Jen Eris? I know. Jen, what did I say? Jen, something, 
She's just Jennifer Aniston's very generous. That's all. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows it. We love Jen. We love her. You know who else we love? Alan Payne. Alan Payne. <laughs> we love Alan Payne, you guys. You already know from the title of this episode, we have a really special guest today, Alan Payne. We really, really enjoyed talking with him. He was able to tell us a bit more of a business side to his story than I think of any other guests we've had on. Yeah, he just had a book called Built to Fail, the inside story of Blockbuster's inevitable bust. And he talks all about the book and share some stories that aren't even in the book. Yes, it was incredibly interesting for both of us. We, of course, love Blockbuster. We say it to Alan in the interview. We both grew up going all the time. But to hear from someone who was on the inside was mm-hmm. Had a he was a part of so many different stores, like for, with hit in his own bubble of Blockbuster, yeah. and it was really really interesting. And we don't want to give anything away, but we think you guys are really going to enjoy this, and you can hear about what really went on in Blockbuster that none none of us knew about. I mean, honestly, we just got our movies and candy and left. Honestly, <laughs> we had no idea. Uh, so I guess without further ado, here he is, Alan Payne. Hello, hello. How are y'all? Good, how are you? Good, how are you? Where am I where am I speaking to y'all? Where are you? We are both in LA. I'm in Studio City. She's in North Hollywood. Yeah. And you're in Austin, Texas, right? In Austin. My daughter lives in LA. Oh, which part? She's in uh, Echo Park. Oh, I I love love it there. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been out to visit her? Uh, yeah, I have. I have. Yeah. What What do you think of L.A.? Well, I've spent quite a bit of time in L.A. I went to USC many, many years ago. Oh, and nice. My, and, my, and my daughter went to USC. She went to film school. Oh, oh great. Cool. So she's she's in your, she's in the business. And uh, so I'm not a fan of L.A. If I if yeah. I was if I was if I was just stinking rich, I could learn to enjoy it. It's so expensive to be I out know. here. Oh, I know. I know. When, it, when, when my daughter and her husband told me what they paid for their house in Echo Park, it's, and, you know, and it's a fixer upper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Uh, you I, almost I just don't want to know. I couldn't even believe it. I couldn't even believe it. But yeah, no, my mom was just out here this weekend. I'm from a really small town in Illinois and we saw like a house that was for sale. So she was just curious <laughs> and she was like, back home, this would be, you know, maybe 100,000, 200,000 here. It was like uh-huh. 4 million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah neither yeah. of us are from here. David's from Illinois. He said, I'm from like the Philadelphia area back on the okay. East coast. And anytime family comes out, they're like, the weather is great, but I'm, I don't know why you live here. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, the, you know, I, the, the, uh, the year that I spent at USC and, uh, in grad school, we lived in Palos Verdes, which is like pa- paradise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking, yeah, if I had the money to do this, I could do this. Yeah. Right. I know. Like, yeah. I know. You don't want to put a price on it, but you yeah. can't help. It's no, just in your face, no matter what. Uh-huh. No air conditioning, windows open all the time. No yeah. bugs. You know? The yes. air conditioning's a huge, yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It, was, it, was it was unbelievable. So I, I get it. I understand. But, uh, <laughs> I can't afford it. Oh my gosh. We both grew up in like humid summers and bugs and mosquitoes. So that's one thing. Like my mom's been telling me back home, it's been so humid. I mean, with all the storms and everything and that I don't take for granted. 
the yeah. dry air because it might be hot, the desert heat, but you know, there's just nothing like that humidity. There's a, there's a difference. There's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Are there's you, a huge difference. Are you from Texas originally? Oh yeah. I grew up in Texas and okay. in, in West Texas. I've been, been in Austin the last 30 years. You know? Oh, nice. So, and of course, Austin has, it's, it's kind of changed a little bit. Over That's the what last I've heard. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just a, I've, I live way outside of town, so I don't put up with all the congestion. But of course, it's nothing like L.A., but it's yeah, but like traffic definitely still up. a city. Yeah, the traffic is bad, but by L.A. standards, you know, it's, it's nothing. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I remember Googling how to drive in L.A. when I moved out here because I was so nervous to get on the freeways. Well, what the, did crazy, Google tell the crazy you? thing is in California. You have to know how to get on the freeways, you know, uh -huh. here mm -hmm. we have access roads and you can just, you know, yeah. get on any place, but in LA, you got to know which street to get on to find the, find the access. Got to use GPS. I don't know how people lived here without GPS. Yeah. You just, well, maps. Yeah. Yep. You forget. <laughs> if now, you zoom in close on a GPS, it is a map. It's that that is what's there. Out with video, you know, it's hey, it was you went, that's how we watch movies then. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for agreeing to chat with us. By the way, sure. It sounds like it's you're in your genre, but I don't see you talking to very many other business people. So, no, this is going to be really cool. We're so excited though, because we, okay. I mean, anyone Blockbuster was so so huge, yeah. and. We would love, we love to hear different sides, you know, like if it's an actor or it could be a writer or someone in the business side, we're just like soaking up the information like a sponge. It's, we love it. So thank no, you for doing this. Remember the nineties, aren't, aren't you? We're See, both 92 <laughs> babies. So that's why yes. we, our podcast is nineties and the two thousands. Okay. That way we can <laughs> yeah. cover you were both. Little, you were little, you were little kids when DVD came along. Yeah. We were. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Yep. We had too many VHSs of course, yeah. but I remember every Friday night, it was the thing that we did. We went to Blockbuster. I yeah. have such fond memories. We got the little Sour Jacks candy. And it was like, you went to the new release section to see what was out. Yeah. I mean, we have, I have such fond memories of that. Yeah. So I know that our listeners are going to be really interested to hear about it too. I don't know what angle you want to take, but I'll, I'll try to accommodate <laughs> however, you, however you want to talk about it. <laughs> Well, you know, let's the, start if off. You've, if you've seen the book, if you have you have you read? We did, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were sent I mean, it. I mean, you can see it's a, you know, it's a business book, uh, but it does. Uh, I, I tried to keep it as light as I could, but it is, <laughs> but it is a business book. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was super interesting because I, I, honestly, I don't think I've ever read like a business book like that. But because it was all about like the history of blockbuster and then dvd coming in and then netflix coming in i found it yeah. just fascinating well good good yeah good. um so i guess let's start off for people listening who maybe don't know a lot about you can you give us a little bit about your background yeah my my name is alan Payne, and i i i've i've been a, a i guess a, a a retailer all my life because before i was in the the video business i was in the grocery business for for several years and the grocery company that i was working for back in the eighties, a company called HEB in Texas and people outside of Texas probably don't know them, but they're the largest grocery company in Texas mm. by far. And pretty much recognized as one of the best, if not the best grocery company in the country. They're, they're dominant everywhere that they exist. Totally dominant. 
Uh, and in the mid eighties, they just, they got into the, to the video business like every other grocery store did back then. Uh, because if you remember, you know, pretty much any grocery store you went and went in convenience store, uh, gas stations, truck stops, everybody was renting VHS movies back in the eighties. Yeah. So, uh, supermarkets got into it also. So we were doing that and. HUB took it a step further. Uh, Blockbuster was coming to try to lease real estate from them. And they decided, well, if it's such a great business, why don't we do it? So mm -hmm. they started opening up freestanding video stores that were called Video Central. And it was in conjunction with a, with a, a, a great video retailer named Craig O'Donovich who had joined mm -hmm. HUB. And they, uh, they had bought out his company and they put me in charge of running the stores. So we opened our first store in 1987, which to put it in perspective, Blockbuster had about 50 stores at the time. Wow. wow. So they were a tiny little company yeah. just, just starting to ramp up. And, and our first store was right across the street from a Blockbuster in San Antonio, Texas. And, and it just absolutely kicked Blockbuster's butt. I mean, wow. we were doing three to four times the amount of business that they were. And uh, we went on to open 35 of those stores. Most of them competed with Blockbuster and they, and they were very, very successful. But Charles Butt, who owns HUB, decided he wanted to get out of the video business in uh, the early 90s. So in 1993, he sold the company to Hollywood Video. Mm. Wow. It was also a very small company at the time, only had about 10, 15 stores. Uh, and that actually was one of Blockbuster's first misses because they should have bought our company but they didn't mm -hmm. Hollywood video did and kind of the rest is history within just a few years. They were, they were the only national competitor that blockbuster had. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think they could have done that had they not acquired uh, video central. So I just out of a coincidence, I got offered a chance to run a group of blockbuster franchise stores. And that, ha that's how I got connected to blockbuster. I ran, oh, wow. I ran these stores. Uh, I left HEB in 1993 to join them. And, uh, they had stores in Texas and Alaska, uh, only, uh, I guess about 20 stores at the time. And, uh, I ran those and then that, they were owned by a cable television company. Uh, called Prime Cable, and uh, they decided to sell those stores in two, and I put the money together to buy them. So I I ran them for them for seven years, and then bought them in two thousand, and we closed the last store in uh, two thousand eighteen. Wow! Which was which was eight years after Blockbuster filed bankruptcy, and our stores were the very last ones to close, except the one that people probably heard about in Bend, Oregon. There's, there's, mm -hmm, one, right. there's, there's one there. Uh, our stores were the last to close except for that one. Yeah. Wow. We, um, we actually watched that documentary about the, the one in Oregon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The last blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and one thing I really took away from it, which I think was why maybe so many reasons why blockbuster did so well, but it really was a community, you know, the owner, she knew everyone that came in oh, yeah. and you would go with friends. People would make a whole evening out of it. You would, sure. you would hang out with friends there and talk about the movies. So it wasn't just like go and get a movie. Like now it's great that there are streaming services, but it's, there's no connection to people. You sit on your couch and just use your remote mm -hmm. with blockbuster. You went there and you could see people, you know, and it was just a really community-based environment. 
Well, and it, it's it, it's it's archaic, but at the same, it sounds archaic, but it but it offered people things that they don't have today. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I I I kind of feel sorry for people that have never been in a in a video store, not just Blockbuster, but 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 because Blockbuster was never more than about forty percent of the market, even though the name was dominant. Uh, it never was even half of the business, you know, Hollywood video was big and there was a bunch of others as well, but you know, no, anybody that's ever been in a video store on a Friday night or a Saturday night, and there'd be a hundred, 200 people in there. Mm-hmm. You know, that was an event and it was fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and any movie you wanted, if it was in stock was there. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's something nowadays you would have to subscribe to several different streaming stores right. to get access to them all. But yeah. days, they were all there. And it sounds crazy because it took two trips to do it, one to go and one to return. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> but, it, but, but the thing is, it was places you were going anyway, for the most part. It was because mm-hmm. most blockbusters were in the parking lot of grocery stores and you were going to be there anyway. So it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, yeah. people talk about it in negative terms now, but for most people, it was not that big of an inconvenience to take a movie back. Yeah. And I remember when you would go in and if there was a new movie and they were all gone, like they were, it almost made you appreciate what, if you got it so much yeah. more, like it's so easy now you can watch anything, but it right. was like, if you missed it, you were sad. Or if you got it, it, it you just were so, it brought so much joy because it was like, well, either you got there in time or you didn't, and you're not going to see this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which you yeah. just, people don't have today because yeah. everything's so easy and accessible. Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's great to put the business in perspective because up until the video, video store, people could not watch movies whenever they wanted to. They just, mm-hmm. they were, they were very, it was very limited and it was either in a theater or it was on television on the, mm-hmm. on the studios or the network schedule, not yours right, with, yeah. commercial, with commercials. So yeah. it, it, and it's crazy, crazy to think, but the studios tried to stop it from even existing. When the VCR was introduced in the seventies, uh, the Hollywood studios sued to try to. Oh, out- wow. Uh, yeah because they thought recording their content was illegal. Uh, and it was a legitimate, you know, issue. And sure. in fact, uh, the lower courts actually agreed with them. And it, and it, and it, for a brief period of time, the VCR was illegal. Wow. And it, wound up, and it wound up getting to the Supreme court where it got overturned and the mm-hmm. VCR became legal, but the vote was just five to four. It was, wow. that, it was that, it was that close to being illegal. Uh, and in fact, Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers fame actually testified yeah. at the Supreme court, uh, trial. Really? So, yeah. So it came that close to being illegal. And, and that's a lot of the reasons the the business was so fragmented in those early days, because there was so many questions about it that it didn't attract, uh, you know, the Walmarts of the world to get into the mm-hmm. business in a big way. It, it was, it was started by mainly undercapitalized entrepreneurs who were looking for a quick buck and a lot of them got very rich off of it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 Blo- and Blockbuster came along and consolidated the business and grew it and really legitimized it because mm-hmm. up to that point, it was, it was not, it was not that highly thought of business because most of the stores were not in good locations. 
most of them carried x-rated mm-hmm. they just weren't very well run but they were yeah. and and they didn't need to be in those days because you know people that was the only place you could go get go to get a movie and watch it when you wanted to so. yeah one thing i genuinely had no idea until i read your book was how expensive the vhs vhs tapes were whenever they first yeah. came out yeah well if you, if you think about it the, the studios they were selling you something they had never sold before so when they start putting a price on it they're thinking well this is going to get watched multiple times that's true therefore I got to put a high price on it. So the retail price of a movie back in those days was about a hundred dollars. So Which is crazy. So, so the wholesale cost to a video store was, was about 60 to 70 bucks. Okay. Yeah. And, and because the, as, as you know, the video business was a, was a, was a hit driven business. Mm-hmm. And most of the rentals on a movie would come in the first two or three weeks. So if you got, if you paid $65 for a movie, you got to rent it 22 times or so just to get your money back. That's so true. That's what created the out of stocks. And it's also what created late fees Mm -hmm. to try to keep Mm -hmm. movies coming back. And, uh, you know, the video industry took a a lot of criticism over the years for late fees, but it was the only way we could come up with to get movies back. So we could, yeah. And, uh, so it, it, it really wasn't the video stores that drove that business model. It was the studios because that's what they thought the movies were worth. Now, in the late 90s, when DVD came along, everything changed because mm-hmm. every DVD that was ever produced was produced to sell to customers rather than sell to, to, to rental stores. Uh, and they, most of them were, as you know, under $20. Yeah, right. That that completely changed the video rental business model. And I think is what essentially doomed Blockbuster because they never fully adjusted to it. To DVDs? Yeah, they never did. Yeah. They, uh, their in-stock conditions, even though the the cost of the product was less, uh, their in-stock conditions got worse. Uh, Their selection of movies was just horrible. It was not as good in DVD as it was in VHS. Mm. Uh, and yet, even though the cost of product was about a fourth of what it was, you know, a few mm-hmm. years before, their profit margins actually went down. So how, oh, wow. how, does, that ha- how does that happen? Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and, and to put it in perspective, in our, in our company, in the early 2000s, the same years that Blockbuster was going down, mm-hmm. uh, we tripled the profit in our, in our, in our stores, just by taking advantage of the beauty of DVD. It was a great product that everybody loved. Mm -hmm. uh, And it opened up the home entertainment business to a whole another group of people. Uh, So we thought it was just obvious, Hey, we should be doing better with DVD than VHS because Mm -hmm. not everybody wanted to buy them. They still wanted to rent them. That's so true. Yeah. And even, and even though it was at price to sell, uh, most people still rented them because mm-hmm. they didn't want to pay $15, $20 to own it. They just wanted to watch it for three. Yeah. Uh, so we took full advantage of it. And, and I, you know, I, I say in the book, you know, Netflix didn't kill Blockbuster. Blockbuster killed Blockbuster and DVD mm-hmm. was, was its weapon of choice. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there was no reason that Blockbuster could not have taken advantage of the DVD just like Netflix did, but they did mm-hmm. 
Because that's also something that I feel like a lot of kids today probably have no memory of that Netflix started out as a DVD rental service. It's not the oh, streaming yeah. service that yeah. we all use today. Yeah, and I, I think that my main motivation to, to write the book was uh, because most people think that Netflix, Netflix streaming is what killed Blockbuster. And Blockbuster was dead long before Netflix mm -hmm. streaming became a, a large part of their business. You know, Netflix started in 1997 and didn't stream a movie until 10 years later mm, in, in yeah. 2007. So uh, they were a, they were a DVD by mail business. And, and even though they they were very successful, you know, they were never even close to the size of Blockbuster. Blockbuster was always a much larger company than Netflix was until Netflix became the streaming giant they are today. Mm -hmm. But even though Netflix was a relatively small company, uh, it, along with a whole lot of mistakes that Blockbuster made, and later on Redbox, uh, oh, yeah. those, were the, those, were the, those were the two competitors that essentially did in Blockbuster yeah. before streaming was even a factor. Wow. Right. Yeah. It makes you wonder if Blockbuster had never gone bankrupt and they were still around. They would have just adapted streaming. I'm sure well, they should. They should have. I mean, yeah. Netflix brilliantly transitioned from DVD by mail to streaming, even yeah. though they were always a smaller company than Blockbuster in those days. Uh, Blockbuster had more opportunities, more capital, more scale to have done the same thing, mm. but they never took it seriously. Uh, never had a internet department never hired people, you know, tech people to come in and, and help develop that business. Mm -hmm. They always felt like they'll let somebody else create it and then we'll get into it. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I think the result of that is they never really understood what was happening to them. And a mm -hmm. lot of people didn't understand what Netflix was doing. I mean, the studios didn't either. The, oh. the, studio, the studios allowed Netflix to become the giant that they are today. Uh, and, and they allowed Netflix to set the terms and define where the business was going instead of the Disney's of the world. And that's just, mm. you know, you see Disney trying to play catch up with Netflix now. Yeah, they really, yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, Disney, HBO Max. Yeah. All Everyone those has a streaming up. service. Yeah, well, you know, at, at the time, uh, the whole idea that Netflix brought along with the, the subscription business model, nobody ever really even thought of that and didn't understand mm -hmm. how it could work. Mm -hmm. And the studios just didn't take it seriously. Never thought that Netflix would get large enough to even be a factor. Wow. <laughs> Look at it now. <laughs> I yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. It feels so just it like was, a... it, it, it wasn't just Blockbuster. It was, it was the entire entertainment industry didn't yeah. understand what Netflix was doing. And it, and I think it really speaks to the genius of, of Reed Hastings and, and uh, Ted Sarandos, who's the CEO now. And, and, and Ted, ironically, was, was uh, a guy we all knew in the video business. He was, he, he was in, the, in the, uh, the wholesale business with one of the wholesalers back then. We all knew him pretty well. Oh, yeah. Mm. And he was one of the first, I think, one of the first 10 people that, Net, that Netflix hired. And now he's running the business. Wow. Yeah. Really from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. That's wow. crazy. So had you always been interested in writing or did you more want to do this? Like how you said, you know, you wanted to tell the other side and tell your story. 
about what happened with Blockbuster? I, I don't. I can't say I've ever been interested in writing. I've always felt like business communication was important. So I put a. I think I put a priority on learning how to communicate. But mm. the thought of writing a book never crossed my mind until, I guess, about five years ago when we were starting to to, to scale our business back, and I was trying to think, what am I going to do next? And the whole mm. idea just started coming to me of you know. I really think the story needs to be told and, and blockbuster, you know, only existed for about 25 years. And in those five years, they had like six different CEOs. Wow. So, so, so there, so there was really not anybody in there and the founder uh, died three years ago. Mm-hmm. So there was not, there was really not anybody in there to tell the story. And sure. uh, I just felt because of, you know, every time you hear about a business failure, it's like, uh, well, well, they're going to, they were the next blockbuster or whatever, you know, blockbuster mm-hmm. is synonymous with failure. And, and I, and I did not think the story had been told properly. Uh, so that was my main motivation to, mm-hmm. to write the mm-hmm. book that I wanted to make sure that it was documented properly. And, uh, that's, that's what the book is about, uh, really from the beginning of what started it and, the culture of the company in the early days that contributed to its failure, even though it had ample opportunity to change, but they just never did. Yeah. yeah. You really did do a good job at keeping it. Cause like I said, I'd never read like a business book, but then adding your own stories <laughs> of like, you know, that flight you were on when you were trying to discuss with, uh, yeah, that flight. And then you had to get your own way back. The Alaska flight. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll leave the details to the, to, to the book. Yeah. We don't want to give right. away. We don't want to give away. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it, it was my opportunity for a seven or eight hour flight to Alaska in a private jet to, to talk shop with, with the CEO of Blockbuster at the time. And I, I had hoped I could, you know, get him to change his thinking because this was in 2005 and we were just, doing doing gangbusters and our business was just unbelievably good and growing every year and blockbuster was as i say in the book it was kind of in a fatal tailspin already in 2005 and netflix hadn't even streamed a movie wow uh, at the at the time so i i i thought blockbuster was in trouble for a long long time mm-hmm. it was just it just took it a while to become evident to everybody else mm. yeah so when it did finally go bankrupt, you you weren't surprised. Oh no! You seen no. it, saw it coming. Yeah, uh, they filed bankruptcy in 2010, and I know when they did away with late fees in early 2005. Even though a lot of people thought that was a brilliant move, to anybody that understood the business, believed as I did that it was the stupidest business decision I'd ever seen. It made no mm. sense whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and, and there was a lot of other ways to deal with the negative connotations of late fees, but you had to get your movies back. And when Blockbuster did that, they lost control of their inventory. And, mm. and it really, it was just a crash mm. after that. It was just a matter of how long it was going to take. That's and, so true. Cause without late fees, there's no reason for me to take that DVD. Why would you ever VHS return it? Back. <laughs> well, but the crazy thing is if you didn't, they eventually charge you for it. For the uh, whole movie. Oh yeah. They eventually charged you for it. So it really wasn't 
no late fees. There was still there were still fees involved. They just changed the name and 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 allowed people to keep them as long as they wanted. Uh, it just didn't make any business sense. And we were one of the few franchise groups that never did it. Mm. But most of the franchise groups felt like they had to had to go along, so they did, and most of them fell too. Uh, so. so we, we never did. We kept charging late fees and customers understood. They didn't have mm -hmm. So there's obviously like the overall blockbuster. So then whenever you're talking about like the different franchises, so you were able to make up like your own kind of rules for your franchise, like the late fees for, and stuff like that? Part, our, our, our we controlled our own inventory. We controlled our pricing. Obviously our late fees, how long the, the term was, you know, how long it, it rented for all the very important components of the business that dictated, you know, the business model, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we controlled. So even though our name was Blockbuster, we ran a completely different operation than Blockbuster did. Other than the, other than the, the torn ticket, there was not hardly anything in our stores that was, that was like a typical Blockbuster store. Mm. Wow. And most of that started with the size of the inventory. We had the inventory in our stores was usually three to four times larger than a typical Blockbuster store. And it was always priced much less. So there was a lot more reasons to come in one of our stores than a typical Blockbuster store because there was just so much there. Right. Because mm -hmm. I know with the Blockbuster. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Thousand titles in the in the catalog section alone and blockbuster back in those days probably had three four five thousand wow that's a huge and difference it was overpriced you know they would charge four or five dollars to rent it we were charging a dollar yeah uh, it was just a completely different experience i'm trying to remember what they cost at my blockbuster where what 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 city was that and i'll tell you well, so I'm from, it's, um, it's about 40 to minutes to an hour outside of Philadelphia. It's called Horsham, Pennsylvania. It was probably a corporately owned store and you were probably by, by the two thousands, you were probably paying $45 to rent a movie. Okay. Uh, and in fact, when DVD came along and even though the cost was less to, to buy it for us mm -hmm. to rent it, Blockbuster raised their retail prices. Wow. It never made any sense at all to me. Uh, they were trying to treat it as a premium product, which it was. It was a lot better than VHS. But the thing is, when it's out in the market for the new release is $20, and you could go into Walmart and buy all the catalog product for 4 or $5. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but throughout a Walmart store, there would be these bins everywhere, just piled full of, of, of catalog titles uh -huh. from anywhere from three to five dollars well that yeah. was the cost it would cost to rent the same movie it's so true which that made no sense right <laughs> no totally. right. but 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 and that's what they were doing uh and what, what what we discovered is that we could rent thousands and thousands of those movies for a buck and we were generating a lot more revenue out of our catalog section than Blockbuster was because they didn't have very much of it. And what they did have was grossly overpriced. Mm. There, was a, there was a massive market for it out there that Blockbuster never recognized. So you obviously kept your stores till 2018. When did you know that the, your that franchises was, had to close? It was, it we was time toast. to close doors. <laughs> I think, I think uh, 
you know, we fought it pretty hard after, after Blockbuster filed bankruptcy. And then of course, Dish bought it. And, mm. and we were hoping that they would remain committed to it and, and try to save it. But with about a year after they bought the stores, they started closing them and we kind of wow. saw the writing on the wall and they yeah. closed their last store in 2014. And oh, wow. So you kept yours even four years after that. Yeah. Yeah. So after they had basically shut down everything, the support and everything, you know, we were completely on our own. Mm -hmm. uh, we ran the stores for another four years. And I, I guess, you know, we closed the last store in 2018. And I think by 2015, 16, we knew there was nothing we could do to, to save it. It was yeah. just a matter of time. So we stopped investing in it and just try to run the stores as best we could and uh and just let it play out and and all the stores with maybe one or two exceptions were profitable right down to the end i remember seeing finding it really interesting in the documentary about the one in oregon you know she was saying nothing in the stores really changed like the register was always the same everything behind the scenes was the same and they did at one point maybe this was because it was the last one and you know, got a lot of fans going to it. They would bring in like props and costumes from some of the movies in there, like maybe just different tactics to try to keep people coming back. Well, that story has turned into a kind of a tourist attraction. Yeah. Right. And then uh, they've built quite a business out of selling blockbuster paraphernalia in addition to renting things. Mm. And, and the, uh, I don't know if you saw the, the costumes in that store, uh, there's a, there's a, a real cool story in the book about how all that happened. And those, th those actually belong to, 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 to us. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. There, there's, there's some props in there that Russell Crowe wore in some of his movies. Mm. Those were given to us by when we were closing our last stores in Alaska, those were given to us by the John Oliver show. And if you, oh, go wow. back, if you go back and, 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 and search John Oliver blockbuster, you'll see there's a whole series of, of things that they did to try to save our stores in Alaska. <laughs> oh my gosh. So oh. they, gave, they gave us a lot of that stuff and uh, we put it on display in one of the stores in Anchorage and it was, you know, it was a popular attraction, but like I told us that I don't think it's going to save the stores, but they gave it to us anyway. And when we closed our last store, I loaned that to Ken Tisher, who owns that store in Bend, mm. and said, you can keep it as long as you want, you know. Uh, so, in fact, uh, Ron Howard, who directed Cinderella Man, yeah. which, is, which was one of the movies that the, 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 the props are in there from, he walked into that store one time. And took really? A, took a, it took a selfie in front of the robe that... Uh, <clears throat> Russell Crowe wore in Cinderella Man. Oh, that's cool. And here's a hilarious thing to show you the, the age gap. Ron Howard was never recognized in the store. Oh, come on. He, he, went, <laughs> he went in, took selfies in the store, walked outside, took selfies outside the store, put it on his Facebook page. Nobody knew he was there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't know how that makes me feel, right? <laughs> I don't know what to feel about that. Because how, how would you not know Ron Howard? I mean, he had a cap on and everything, but I would have recognized him. Yeah. Maybe people just would have never expected him to be there. So they yeah. wouldn't be like looking at people. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Note to self, keep your eyes peeled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never know around. who might show up. Yeah. 
That's so true. <laughs> but I, I do think all of it, like people really do love blockbuster. Like that's one thing why we do this podcast. These nostalgic things just speak to people. There is a comfort that comes from them. I mean, of course the one in, in Bend is now, like you said, a tourist attraction, but you know, people don't want to see it go away, but it is funny because they also watch the streaming services and therefore blockbuster went away. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but I'll, I'll, I've always wondered, you know, we, we ran our stores very profitably for eight years beyond blockbuster mm-hmm. six, successfully running those stores. So there was a different way to do it. Uh, and I think a better way to do it. And had Blockbuster done that, would they have been able to create some sort of hybrid, like a lot of retailers have done now? Yeah. Where they're doing online and they're doing, and they've still got storefronts. They've got fewer storefronts and they do different things. I mean, Best Buy to me is the, is the perfect example. I mean, they've completely transformed their electronic stores into something else. Mm-hmm. And they've done exceptionally well. But mm-hmm. their online business is big too. So if Blockbuster had been more, intellectually curious and progressive and been willing to really think about and devote resources to the future, would they have been able to create some sort of a hybrid model where they could have had, still had a few stores around? Mm-hmm. I think they could have, but we'll never, we'll never know for sure. Sure. Uh, certainly it was going to get to be a smaller business, but as you see now, just like you're talk, talking, you were at the tail end of it at, at your age. Yeah, there was a whole lot of people back then that that were sad to see it go. Oh my gosh, I was devastated. I mean, the, la- the last stores that we closed in Alaska still had three or four thousand people going to them every week. Wow, it's not, it's not like it was just a you know it just people just quit doing it. Mm-hmm. It just it it. So yeah, I think I think I think Blockbuster should still be around, but mm-hmm. obviously that didn't happen. Did you do a lot of your writing on this book then over COVID? Cause I know in the book you mentioned like the pandemic and everything. Help me get it done for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you had more time. <laughs> Cause not, not having ever written a book, I didn't, you know, I had no idea what I was getting into and, and a guy like me doesn't go, you know, get a traditional publisher. Uh, mm-hmm. I probably could have found one, but I might've wound up paying them instead of them paying me. So I, <laughs> I, I, I hired a company. Who, which happened to be in Austin called Scribe Media. And they're really, really good at helping people like me plan, plan a book, uh, edit it, uh, design it and get it and get it printed. Uh, so they basically do all the things that people like me don't know how to do. And mm-hmm. they, and they help us on the writing and they, they hire the editors and everything. So, you know, I, I think you would agree. It looks like a book that was published just as a normal book. And oh, totally, yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's, uh, you know, it's not a traditional publisher. Uh, but you'd never know it. No. It's, it's, uh, so that's how I was able to do it, and it took it took almost three years to do it. Wow, yeah. I can imagine though. I, I feel like writing a book is so difficult. <laughs> It is, particularly when you don't know what you're doing, like, like yeah, sure. I would have no idea. <laughs> you know, I, it, it took, I, I remember I got the first six chapters written and thought they were decent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and about halfway through, I started kind of getting a feel of what I wanted it to say, because uh, I wasn't sure. And so I went back and read those first six chapters and they were just horrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
So I, so I, I, I rewrote most of the book and finally kind of got a feel for how I wanted to be told. And of course, I go back now and, and read it and I go, boy, I wish I'd have said that different, that different. Oh, yeah. I bet. But there, but there's always something, you know. But, but in general, I'm very happy with it. And I think it accurately tells what happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I can honestly say I've gotten, I've gotten no feedback from anybody that was in the business back then that thinks I don't have the facts straight. Mm. Uh, oh, that's great. Everybody, now they may not tip, you know, necessarily agree with my conclusions and that's fine. But uh, the, there's not anybody that has read it that was there that didn't, you know, that criticized it for, oh, you left this out and didn't get that right. Uh -huh. That wasn't accurate and all that. You, you know, it's very well researched. Uh, mm. and, and I was there, but I wanted to make sure that I got it all accurate. So I did a lot of research to make sure. I was sure going to say the amount of research across, you had to yeah. do. Yeah. I, I wanted to be, there are a lot of facts and information in it, but yet it'd be easy to read. Uh, and I, and I think I accomplished that. So. Oh you, yeah. You I'm, for I'm, sure I'm, did. It's a great balance. I'm happy with it. Yeah. And it's not very long, you know, it's only like 220 pages, I think. So it, in fact, in fact, one of the people that worked for me, uh, he read it and he knew the whole story because he ran Alaska for over 20 years. A guy named Craig Cobb. And he, he said, I'm surprised it wasn't 500 pages. And I said, well, <laughs> it could have been. <laughs> That's the, there's a second book. You'll get to yeah, tell I mean, even you, more. There was a lot more stories that could have been told, but they would have been duplicating, you know, you know, how many, how many times do you need to make a point? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I think there's enough in there that people will get a good understanding of, of, of how Blockbuster was built and, and, and why it failed. There's yes. a reason that the book is called built to fail. You know, right. It was, I think it was kind of doomed to an early grave from the beginning. Mm. It, just, it just took it a while to happen. Mm. Yeah, I, we we both love the title. It's a very catching title. Immediately, you're just like, you, normally things are not built to fail. That's just not a business model yeah. anyone yeah. should, yeah. should well, want to have. Well, they didn't want to do that. <laughs> but it was it's just It's just that the people that built it were really only interested in growing it and making a whole lot of money, not make, not really building a sustainable business. Mm. And that's a pretty common theme in startup companies, but mm -hmm. the, the long-term successful ones make the transition from startup to operating company. And if you don't make that transition, you're going to fail early. And, and my contention is that Blockbuster failed long before it's time because it never really transitioned from a fast growing startup where people were getting stupid rich yeah, uh, to, to a company that was really, built for the long term. Blockbuster mm -hmm. was never Blockbuster was never built to last. It just wasn't. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, as we, Blockbuster lovers, we never would have saw it coming. <laughs> no, yeah. but also the So you fooled is, all of us. <laughs> the book is yeah, so well, fascinating. The, the, the brand was so, you know, one of the great things Blockbuster did. Not only did they open stores faster than everybody, but their their marketing campaign and you probably don't remember a lot of it because this would have been in the 80s and early 90s when it first started. It was really developing that national image. Mm -hmm. uh, Blockbuster America's family video store and 10,000 movies and wow, what a difference and all this. I mean, they did a brilliant job of 
separating themselves from the pack with their marketing message. Mm -hmm. uh, so not only did they open the stores faster than everybody else, they created a brand, mm. uh, a brand that, that everybody remembers. It's just that when you looked under the hood, the mechanics of how those stores ran, uh, it wasn't very good. And, and, and Blockbuster management never seemed to be too interested in it as long as, yeah. as, long as they could open another one and make more money. They just weren't that interested just, in, in the details of what made it work. Mm. Which not ideal. <laughs> No, no, because eventually it catches up with you. Yeah. For sure. And it clearly did catch up with yeah. Blockbuster. Yeah. Well, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. We just have one last question. Okay. Do you still have your Blockbuster card? <laughs> no, I don't. No. You don't? I guess I'm embarrassed to say that, but I don't. I, have, I still have a lot of Blockbuster stuff around the house. I've okay. Got I've got all my trophies. I've got, we used to give away uh, blockbuster watches for, you know, like Ooh. every business does to, to, uh, to, you know, for service awards to our, uh -huh. our, our employees. I've still got a few. Oh. Of those. I was going to say, the they were, they were not were the retail. Trophies? <laughs> What's that? What were the trophies? Were those for like employee awards? Well, no, the ones I have, you know, we, we won a lot of awards from Blockbuster back in those days. We won a couple of chairman's awards, which was the, the, the top award and some, and a bunch of others. So I've got a lot of nice crystal and silver and things, you know, there but, you go. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, I don't have my Blockbuster card. That's okay. <laughs> if we just had to ask. Well, well, you know, but in the latter days, you didn't even have to have one. All you need was. That's true. That's my defense. There, there you, you go. go. <laughs> Everyone all get off his back. Your, okay. All you need was your driver's license. That's true. Yeah. Well, we loved the book. And once we, once this episode's up, we're going to post links for everyone to find the right. book. And we hope right. that everyone goes and buys it. Cause it really is so fascinating. Well, yes. It's, it's, it's an, it's an Amazon and anywhere online books are sold. And, uh, it continues to sell well on Amazon. I've, oh, that's it's great. actually selling more right now than it was three or four months ago. So uh, the the word's kind of getting around, I think. So it's 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 been fun to watch. Oh, nice. it's amazing. Well, yes, we will promote it. We'll let everyone know about it because again, we just loved it. So congratulations that's, to you. That's, that's terrific. I'm I'm glad it connected with somebody so young. It did. Yeah, I'm definitely. telling you, <laughs> we love Blockbuster. I have such <laughs> fond memories. Well, thank you so much. But yes. Thank you thanks, so much. It was so nice to meet you. Nice to meet oh, you. Oh, of course. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. So David, now that we're coming off of Alan's incredible interview, yes. what is your, what's your most favorite memory of Blockbuster? Okay. So uh, not going to lie. There was no Blockbuster in my town growing up. So I didn't go to, I mean, like whenever we would go to visit any family um, in like a bigger city, we would always go to Blockbuster. But I, once I went to college, Blockbuster was still open in the town I went to in Edwardsville, Illinois. So I didn't really didn't start going to Blockbuster until then. But I just remember going with my roommates on weekends in college and then watching movies in the dorm. Oh, it was so fun. I even... I, rem I miss having, I mean, I guess it's just like a VHS, but I remember the logo. I remember like it, you popped it open. It had the two, like the two things inside and it would kind of make a pop. 
Uh-huh. And then there was the VHS inside. But it was interesting to hear Alan talk about how different it was when DVDs came on the market. Yeah. I, I feel I like mean, it in, changed the game. In the book, the title of that chapter is called like Death by DVD. <laughs> great, great title for a chapter, Alan. Title. Really, really great. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I just remember, and I briefly mentioned this, we would go on Friday nights, we would go to Blockbuster, my dad would always take us and we would get the Sour Jack candies that came Uh, in this giant box. Yes, this clear box and they were the colors were sectioned off, we would down those things ham down the sour jacks there was like a really great chinese food restaurant right next door it was i looked forward to it every single friday and you would go right to the new releases and just hope that it was still there i was gonna say because i remember whenever you mentioned it about how like exciting it was if it was actually there there was nothing worse than having your mindset on a movie going there and then it and not it's being gone. in stock oh i mean it happened but we got through it we got through it. We got through those times that we did not get the new release. We've got to go up to the Oregon, the Oregon, the Oregon, <laughs> the Oregon store or whatever. Cause now it's like a, aren't they doing it as like a, um, like an Airbnb so, where you can stay. Oh, are they? So there's somewhere, some old blockbuster. I don't know if it's that one, but it's an Airbnb and you can do like a nineties, nineties stay. Oh my God. We would thrive doing that. I know we got, we would love it. that. We got to find it. We got to do it. We got to do it guys. And let us know if any of you still have your blockbuster card. I don't, I mean, I feel like that would just be fun to see a photo of a, of an authentic blockbuster card. Cause I be really doubt fun. my parents still have it, uh, but yeah. make sure you guys also check out Alan's book. It is so good. We're not kidding. We really enjoyed it. And we enjoyed hearing from him all of the stories about blockbuster. I mean, when he said like, he just knew it was going to fail. That's why his book is called built to fail. Because imagine being in that company and just knowing that they're making these mistakes. It's really sad. Honestly, we love you, Blockbuster. We're always going to love you. Oh, and in breaking news, someone just texted me, Britney Spears' father officially removed as conservator. Oh, thank God. It says it's not quite hashtag free Britney, but an LA judge has found Jamie Spears' involvement is no longer in her best interest and she will no longer have to deal with her father handling her business affairs. Wow. Wow. This is huge. An LA judge on Wednesday granted the artist petition to remove him from his role as conservator of her estate immediately finding the arrangement was no longer in her best interest. Um, As we all know, it started in 2008. Yeah. And then it's just more like the history here, but wow. So the conservatorship isn't done but he is no longer there. It's a start, right? I mean, I feel like that's like really the main thing she's been trying to get. So yeah. Oh my God. I just Uh, feel so bad for her. Like that's your own dad and you have to go to court over your own father. Right. Oh God. That's just, just the worst, but we're very, very happy Uh, to hear that. Yeah. And again, we'll share more things as uh, they come out on our Instagram. So follow us at BTTP podcast. And if you're there, you might as well jump on over to Twitter and follow us at BTTB podcast. And I mean, if you're there, you might as well head on over to Facebook and TikTok and follow us for those we're at back to the best. Follow us everywhere, guys. We're pretty much everywhere. And make sure you check out Alan's book. It's called Built to Fail, the inside story of Blockbuster's inevitable bust. Check it out. We highly, highly recommend. And Alan 
if you've made it this far in the episode, thank you so much for coming yes, on thank and talking you so with much. us. It was fascinating to talk to you and we love Blockbuster. Really, it was forever. great. Yeah. <laughs> love Blockbuster forever. Forever. Uh, and thank you guys all for listening. We'll be back next week with the first episode of October. We're getting into <gasps> spooky, spooky season. season. coming, you guys. Spooky season is right around the corner. We have a really fun guest. You're going to love it. We're very excited. And uh, we'll see you then. We'll see you then. Tune in next week where we <laughs> are going to keep taking you. Back to the best. Bye. Bye. Oh, oh, I forgot so- about your spooky. spooky. It's almost spooky season, guys. Just get ready for the spooks. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>